For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. In 2006, I got to lead a missions trip to Albania, which is a Balkan country right in behind Italy. Um, and one of the things that really surprised me when we were there, I mean, we were just a bunch of, of typical East Coast Canadian kids, um, was that in Albania, they have an immigration lottery. And every year there are hundreds, if not thousands of people who, who put forward their name into this lottery to try and get an immigration visa to come to Canada. For them, that is the lottery. That's their dream. And here we were as kids just coming in and, and, and they looked at us the way that they saw us is, is that we were like lottery winners to them. And they wanted to simply come to Canada not to have a dream job, not to have some fulfilling career. They, they simply wanted to be here. As, as poor as they, they might start out, they wanted the, the freedoms and the protections and um, the opportunities that we simply take for granted. And so uh, it was for me this really interesting contrast of uh, the way they viewed us as these, these, these tremendously privileged lottery winners and the way that we felt of not really caring about the things that they valued so highly. It was sort of the assumption of, of all of it. And I think, um, I think we take so much for granted, um, particularly, when it comes to, uh, particularly when it comes to our faith, for those of us who um, this is not a new thing. So we're going to pick up the text here in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Uh, a couple of interesting things here. So we saw earlier in Matthew that there were a few times that people said, hey, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus would <laughs> give them a, a follow-up issue uh, like, hey, before you do, you got to realize. And, and there were often, there was debate, there was questions uh, again, with Matthew here, Jesus says, simply says, come and follow me, and Matthew drops everything and follows. Now, Matthew was a tax collector, which uh, tax collectors, I don't think we can fully appreciate how hated they were. They were seen as traitors to their own people. Uh, they would collect taxes from their own people, uh, and they had a certain, uh, a certain amount they had to collect, um, but they had free reign to be able to collect as much as they wanted on top of that. They could set whatever tax rate they chose, and whatever they made in addition to what Rome demanded, was they just went in their pocket. Um, they got to pick their price, and, and it became extortion, and it was yeah, they, they just became uh, these, these, these sort of scum of, of society. They, they were robbers and thieves. Uh, and so Matthew is a tax collector. Uh, he would be an outcast and a traitor, hated and despised. And Jesus walks by this tax booth as people are, are grumbling about how crooked and wicked this tax collector probably is, and Jesus says to him, hey, come and follow me. Uh, in, in other Gospels, we see that his name probably was Levi originally, uh, and, and when he started following Jesus, he changed his name uh, to Matthew, which means gift of God. And it's this Matthew that it would seem, uh, based on what we can tell, it's this Matthew who was Levi, the tax collector, who wrote this Gospel account. Verse 10. And Jesus reclined at a table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Um, it looks here like 
Matthew starts following Jesus and is just so overwhelmed by the grace that he begins to celebrate and he invites all of his tax collector and sinner buddies and they come and they have a party with Jesus. Matthew wants his friends, as, as wicked and, and depraved as they are, he just wants them to meet Jesus and throw, he, he throws a party. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Uh, the Pharisees were perhaps jealous if Jesus was this, this, this tremendously wise religious teacher what was he doing with that group? He should be with us, which might be the root of some of their frustration with Jesus. Um, and perhaps here they assume of him too that, uh, that birds of a feather flock together, that Jesus isn't sort of who he shows himself to be on the surface, that he's more like these tax collectors. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And so Jesus takes this image of birds of a feather flock together and he spins it and um, he says, no, actually, here's, here's what's really going on is that uh, these people are, are sick and, and my, my, my heart is to bring healing. And so why would I go and be with people who feel that they're healthy and don't care to hear from the doctor? I want to go to those people who are desperately needing healing and know it. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Uh, this is an Old Testament reference to Hosea 6.6, 6, um, where it says that God desires steadfast love. The, the Hebrew word we've talked about before, chesed, and not sacrifice, not just going through the motions, not just, not just religious duty. What he truly wants is this faithful, mercy kind of love shown to others. He wants the knowledge of God and not just burnt offerings. Uh, again here in verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? So at this point in time, John the Baptist is probably in prison. Um, John's ministry all the way along had been pretty austere. He wore, you know, camel hair, really itchy clothes, and ate bugs and honey, and his disciples followed along, and it was this somber, uh, minimalistic kind of ministry. Uh, that sort of shed off all excesses, and, and it was the preparation. Uh, it was all about repentance. It was all about repent of your sin uh, and, 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 and prepare yourselves for, for God. And Jesus um, here responds, Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and they will fast. Um, Jesus is sort of saying, no, listen, we're celebrating. Uh, look at what God is doing. That Finally, the new has come. This long-awaited thing that, that everyone's been waiting for, that God's been preparing, it's here. And so we're actually in this ministry of celebration. There's joy in the inbreaking coming of the kingdom. Um, and there's actually a discipline as well, too, of celebration, of, uh, of being joyful about what God is doing. Um, the, the, you, can, you can get the, the frustration, I think, with John's disciples of, uh, you know, we've been beating ourselves up for years, and here you guys are partying with, uh, with tax collectors. Uh, then we see here in verse 16, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed, but the new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved. Um, in this day, uh, they would take 
leather, the small leather, <laughs> animals made of leather, and they would dry them out and sew them up and it would become a pouch or a bag or a bottle and they would put wine in them. And, and when they were fresh, they, they could stretch. And uh, when, when the, the grape juice was put in, it would ferment over time, which built up carbonation and pressure. Uh, and there needed to be some flex. But over time, these bottles would dry out uh, and they would become brittle. And so if you put new wine in an old bottle, when it began to ferment and, and carbonate, it would, it would just tear and burst. And so uh, you needed to make sure you were always having fresh, uh, pliable uh, leather pouches and bottles uh, for new wine. Um, and Jesus is saying that the, the, the new kingdom has come in and it needs to take new forms and not just fit into the old ceremonial and, and civil civic ways of, of the Old Testament, but it needs to take uh, these existing traditions um, and, and now bring in this new uh, wineskin of gratitude, of freedom, of spontaneous service to the glory of God. The old, which was ceremonial and formal and, 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 and sort of legal and, and very structured, is now being replaced by the indwelling of the Spirit, where the Spirit of God dwells in us. And there's something new. It takes a new form. It's not a new religion. It's the fulfillment of the old. But now this fulfillment of the old needs a new form, which is more pliable, which is the Spirit in us, which is, which is sort of just following Him and moment by moment and worshiping in, in whatever form we find in each moment. It doesn't have to be as structured. Um, <clears throat> I, I really appreciate being around new Christians, especially new Christians who come to faith in adulthood. Um, there's something invigorating and exciting about someone who has experienced and understand the brokenness and the darkness and the despair of just navigating life on their own and the mistakes that that makes and, and the hope of, I'm, I'm going to find hope and joy in this thing and then achieving it only to find it disappointing. And then coming to Jesus and finding, oh, this is what I've been waiting for. And the excitement of, of experiencing grace and of experiencing love and of understanding the cross and, and, and to have sort of all of the Bible just begin to open up. Um, there's something really invigorating about people who are new. And I think we see it here in Matthew as well. He's just so excited that he doesn't care what his friends have done and how they're viewed by other people. He just says, you need to come and you need to meet this Jesus. You need to see this Jesus and encounter him and see what I've seen. Um, and, and for those of us, I think, who have been, um, who have just been coming to church and been in the faith for forever, I, I think there is um, perhaps, perhaps we take it for granted. Perhaps grace becomes old to us at times, um, where it's, it's not as exciting. And we need new eyes, just like uh, Albanians who saw us as Canadians coming in helped us to see in many ways all the privileges and the joys and the freedoms and the protections that we just take for granted. So too, I think sometimes we've been in faith for a long time. We just take Jesus for granted. We take grace for granted. We take heaven for granted. We take purpose for granted. But when we encounter baby Christians, new Christians, all of this is new and fresh. I think we, we, we get a better perspective on just how exciting and invigorating this is. And I think that the Sermon on the Mount actually helps us in this. As we, as we walk through the very beginning uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And, and then we begin to unpack that all of us are poor in spirit, that, that we all struggle with, with, 
with these things that none of us have, have achieved perfection yet, just even as Paul says that he's not obtained it either. And it brings us back to this place of humility. And then we encounter grace. And then we see the, the grace and the joy and the love of Jesus as he walks with us. And so um, I think <clears throat> the Sermon on the Mount becomes a journey um, that we continually take. We have to continue to go back to it. So when we come to these places of taking taking Jesus for granted, taking, taking grace and the cross for granted, we come back to the Sermon on the Mount. We realize that we are poor in spirit. We begin to walk this journey uh, with a deeper and, and new appreciation again, and, and again, have this renewed invigoration, hopefully as well, to be able to share this with others and invite others in uh, whom maybe you wouldn't expect. And so, um, are, are we taking this undeserved grace for granted? How can we, what can you do today um, to reinvigorate and re, uh, yeah, re- rework the joy? Um, restore unto me, David says, the joy of my salvation. What can you do today to focus on that? Get back to the beginning, um, to see it with new eyes, fresh eyes, and, uh, and help you come to a place as well of... Uh, of just celebrating and enjoying um, the goodness of God in our lives. Let's pray. Uh, God, help us to, uh, to see it anew. God, not to take you for granted, not to take the work that you've done in our lives for granted, to remember who we were before you saved us. The struggles, the emptiness, help us to remember that and, and to, to reinvigorate the joy that we have in you and in grace that we might, uh, we might be known as people who celebrate well. God, thank you for this truth. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hope you have a terrific weekend. We'll see you again soon.